everyone. Welcome to Brand New Podcast. We are closing out Women's History Month with a bang. Um, I'm joined again by Sammy Brown from West Virginia, spilling <laughs> all the tea from WV. Yes, absolutely. Hey, Mike, Today, what's going on? <laughs> I am, I'm glad you're back on here. I'm glad you're back on here to talk about all things across the bipartisan spectrum. You know, West Virginia is going through a lot of changes right now. Virginia's to lead off Virginia's jealous that big Jim um, seemed to really cut through partisan politics and just said, get it done. Shots in people's arms. Let's move it. How has that been in West Virginia uh, for you? Um, Mixed reviews, honestly. So like folks on the ground, um, you know, there's, you, you can't deny the fact that, you know, the, the vaccine is not making its ways away into the communities. Uh, definitely some of the more densely populated portions of the community um, are, are starting to see the rollout. It, it was a little slow to start, but uh, absolutely getting its momentum and its movement. So like, let's give credit where credit is due. Um, but uh, we will say that the road to that path uh, where we really had an issue. And of course, um, where I was incredibly vocal in the past year was uh, powers of authority. Uh, You kind of cut us off at the knees as far as a legislature um, by not calling us back in. And the hypocrisy there is you call this back in for development projects, Mm -hmm. uh, things that would happen Uh, have to do with tourism redistricting, which just so happens to benefit um, your uh, avenue of revenue (laughs) outside of, of, of your role as governor. But like when it came to getting us back in there and making decisions for the people of West Virginia, rolling out unemployment, getting uh, folks uh, food and access, and then uh, really COVID relief packages overall, we were not involved. We were not okay. brought back in for special session. So, so it was more like, as President Obama used to say, the pen and the phone, that's kind of, that's all we did. Like it, it did not happen. So um, when it comes to these situations and when it comes to being able to really, you know, get your hands dirty as far as helping people, true service, you capped us off at the knees, my dude. And I've got, I've got sure. mad issues with that. <laughs> so. Okay. Because I know in Virginia, well, we're 50th in the nation. For mm-hmm. vaccine rollout mm-hmm. so it's 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 really really bad here and it's really caused frustration frankly on both sides yeah. um but right now i mean people are worried in virginia cost of living has gone up significantly more people are moving out than moving in mm-hmm. and right now um you know uh you know governor justice did say um like like tennessee i believe did that he wants to inject a shot in the arm of west virginia in terms of economic development And strip away the income tax, making it more affordable to live there. And I can tell you so many people in Northern Virginia, it's like, that's it. I'm going. And I saw that while that may be good for the state in the long run, me and you talked about this last time we were on. Um, Mm. If you look at that pricing of the houses in that little, in your district, your your former district, the Eastern Panhandle, it's now way higher than it was even a month ago. You got it. I mean, actually, it's a it's a slow but steady a gentrification. Mm-hmm. So uh, that the community that I represented, uh, it is my hometown. It's where I grew up. And Mike, you and I have talked about this. I did not come from a family of privilege whatsoever, uh, interracial family, interfaith family, and uh, the section of town that I grew up in is not the affluent section of town. Um, but what you're seeing 
is that the property in and around where I grew up uh, are, are really skyrocketing in prices. Then we're having these pop-up developments, which yes, we want we want folks to come to the state of West Virginia. We want folks uh, to feel that you're welcome here. Please do come. But when you're looking at the housing and now we've gone from you know housing that is truly affordable, um, and it's proportionate to the wages that are available. Now we're getting homes that are 250, 280, 300, 400, $500,000. And the rate of pay has not moved. Yeah. We've got a problem. So while I, I hear you, Nova, you come to West Virginia where you think you might be able to, I guess, navigate some of the oscillation of pricing, you're also still going to be commuting back to your, your metropolitan job, guaranteed. And that cost of the commute, uh, whether it's through, um, you know, we do have the, the mark train, but we had to mm -hmm. fight like hell to maintain the mark train. Um, you might see some of these other things that are that are here, but you're going to make up for it in utility costs. Like it, it is truly a privatization of what's happening here. And while you think you may be um, gaining back some funds, believe me, there will be a reinvestment elsewhere. You cannot cut your way to prosperity, ladies and gentlemen. It's not possible. So Sammy, about the Mark train, didn't, mm -hmm. I mean, didn't Maryland, because you share it with Maryland, didn't yes. Maryland not want to basically i don't know if it's like a lease but basically like they didn't want to extend right. services anymore right no, you've absolutely got it so okay. the, the way that the mark train has uh operated thus far is because this the train does go through uh virginia and into maryland into the metropolitan DC area, we have those stops along the way. And so for a while there, it felt lucrative to invest in these three stops here in the Eastern Panhandle, two in my uh, county of Jefferson, and then one in Berkeley. Also, this is a service because there are individuals that um, are veterans that still get their health care services from RVA. Wonderful, except for ridership had decreased, right? Mm. So they're not making up the costs. Meanwhile, we truly have individuals that are dependent on that rail. Mm. So uh, again, like while we're trying to make sure that where there's a true reinvestment in infrastructure and making sure that access really does allow for the ebb and flow of our respective areas, again, DC, Maryland, Virginia, and Eastern Panhandle of West Virginia, like when when we're constantly working against our best interests, this these are the conversations that are going to pop up. Well, wait a minute, says Maryland. Wait a minute. I, I mean, we're we're putting in more than we're getting out. This isn't lucrative for us. This isn't a lucrative partnership. And so we really did have to go to bat um, in the last year. And believe me, it was politicized like hell. But I, I mean, the the fact of the matter. And it was one of those decisions I had to make as a legislator. Mm -hmm. I'd much rather get this done for you than get get all the credit. Okay. Yeah. I would much rather have to negotiate behind the scenes to have somebody else on the other aisle or on the opposite side of the aisle be the one that gets the headline, knowing that we had to do the legwork uh, to get this through. But you're you're finding this out, Mike. I mean, yeah. and, and you you are a good friend and and someone that I deeply respect. But we're not from the same party. And I, yeah. I feel like that should really be lifted up here is that sure. 
you and I are on different ends of the political spectrum. And you're finding this out as you're really navigating public service. People aren't trying to rock with you <laughs> because they want the credit. Yeah. And you have to be the type of leader that really like just weeds through the BS and gets it to- I'd much rather be a workhorse than a show horse. You got it. Or as I like to call it, the racehorse, because you got to do both. <laughs> yeah, right? So it, 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 that's, that's, that's a good point because I, I think it's, especially with this issue with people getting priced out with wages not going up. I mean, these are issues that, I mean, we have to say that Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders tapped into. I mean, so there's this kind of cross-section of, I would say, you know, the populist voters like, well, wait a minute, what can we do to actually stop this? That's the nail on the head, my friend, populism. So while it kind of manifested itself in some ugly ways, it Mm -hmm. also, if if you want to go to root cause, right? So like, let's, let's, again, weed out the BS and get to root cause. Mm -hmm. What really was... Uh, tapped into by both candidates, again, very different uh, ends of the spectrum is that they spoke to a larger mass, whether you like it or not, right? Like, I I really don't care if you, the listener personally likes what I'm about to tell you, there is a large swath of the population that resonated with each respective message. Mm -hmm. And really what that came down to is people are in pain and they're not being listened to. And so uh, I'll speak to the progressive end of things. Um, what What that showed up as and what that manifested as is how are we taking away those barriers to entry? How are we alleviating the pain? How are we stopping the bleed? And how are we making it so there's actually equitable spaces that we can we can grow and po- prosper. I'm not trying to give you the world here, but I am trying to make sure that you actually have a space to succeed. And on, um, on the right, I would say it's not, it's no surprise that the right went that way and tapped into a whole new swath of voters because I mean, just for years before it was Mitt Romney saying 47% of people are dependent on things and we don't need to listen to them. Mm-hmm. And those are the people that were in pain. So it's very much, I mean, that, that cost him, I would say the 2012 election. Right. Was was that um, was that comment? And yeah, I think there's there's a new type of partnership in town. Whether it's what we're doing on this podcast, whether you know what's popping up the state legislature, the left and the right. I would argue for the millennial, the Gen Z. There's more of an intersection of mm-hmm. this benevolent populism out there than I would say. You know, kind of the the boomer establishment things you know i i wholeheartedly agree with that and it's because we're we're having conversations like this where we're like i'm not interested Mm -hmm. in your corruption i'm not interested in your your low-grade chess like that's not helping people the swamp right like it's we're just not interested in that garbage. But like, for instance, when you and I have these conversations, whether it's on the podcast or offline, mm-hmm. it's like, how do we, how do we actually get to the people that need us the most? And that's, that's really all we care about. And I, I can honestly tell you it's in this age demographic. That's mm-hmm. like, I'll, I'll, I'll open it up a little bit and say 40. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's fine. 
to, to 16, 17, 18, mm -hmm. right? Like th these are folks that are like, you know what? I, I honestly don't care which side of the aisle or what political party it is that, that owns this, but you know, it, absolutely makes sense that we have clean water, that my debt gets canceled, that predators aren't the ones in office, and that we're actually listening to one well, another. And, and on the right, the, the teenage Republicans in Virginia teamed up with the teenage Democrats and passed, I mean, they got a bill passed in the House and the Senate that gives teens like one day off from school uh, so you could be like, you could participate in activist activities that you could work on a campaign that you could do, you know, uh, work out and, you know, canvassing like, God, I love they, that. They came together and passed this thing. Mm -hmm. Because there's a mutual, there, there's a mutual understanding and a mutual respect. I, I almost want to call it a warrior's respect, right? Yeah. Where, where like, I, I respect the fight in you mm -hmm. when you respect the fight in me. Right. Yeah. And it's like, together i mean the the enemy of my enemy is my friend right. type mentality and i think that's what's happening with with younger leaders and younger generations of activists where we're like enough is enough like this isn't this isn't even common sense anymore. and we're always told on the right and the left like they don't want to listen to us like i mean that's a fact we all have our swamp whether it's in richmond or charleston we all have the ruling class that doesn't want new voices in like so i think the young people tap in it's interesting um there was an hbo documentary called the swamp which mm -hmm. followed matt gates of all people and matt gates says he has all the respect in the world for aoc and katie hill and like these people that you wouldn't even expect him to be with but he's like i disagree with them but i like how they fight so yeah. hats off it's interesting yeah I, I mean but again like that really just resonates so much on on some of the relationships that that, that we've built. Um, there are lots of folks that uh, have reached out to me and, and have spoken with me and just like want to continue to work together. And it has nothing to do with the fact that we're in the same party. I, mm -hmm. I don't come within the margin of error as an overtly progressive candidate, legislator, activist. Uh, if I didn't have a base bottom line authenticity to how I fight, right? Sure. So like, there's no way that if I just like told the party line, Mike, that you and I would have the relationship that we do, that we could talk about these issues mm -hmm. in the way that we do and really like just get down to a granular level. It doesn't happen. But when we can actually dissect in an intellectual, logical way, our ideological stances, we can actually get down to common, uh, to common values and common cause without compromising our principles and it's exactly. an art that's been lost you see it you very much see it on all levels of government where folks like to call themselves a moderate or a centrist which really has been a cold word for uh i have a weak mf spine like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah right no, no like it, it's 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 true and it's very much and that's why i've said this before it to differentiate because look i'm I'm a middle of the road type Republican, but I, it's on the right and on the left, there's something that needs to be, um, it's called like radical centrism, mm -hmm. where that means, look, I have my principles, but that does not mean if I'm caught talking to you that my life's over. 
Yeah. And I think that I almost want to reframe that for us, right? Like, is that really radicalized? Like, how dare you have principles? I mean, Tip O'Neill, Ronald Reagan, like, they did that for years. I mean, Bill Clinton and Newt Gingrich hated each other Mm -hmm. on, at least out there, but behind closed doors, Bill Clinton's like, look, you're impeaching me. Newt's like, I hate your guts, but let's pass some reform. So it's, and now it's a dirty word. It's all gone. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. There is no nuance to, no. to, to this word. And then it, and it almost becomes a place of, um, I almost feel forced out of bipartisanship and that's mm-hmm. not what I've ever wanted. In fact, like I've always been a proponent of ranked choice voting. I've been a proponent of, uh, really creating this space for, for, uh, third parties, fourth parties. I, I, I mean, I do feel like to have a true representative government, you have to see all of these components of ideology and it's not present right now. Well, so this then, is something George Washington warned against with right. party. And I mean, this is something that's everyone saw coming it's and it's really manifesting itself in such a divisive hateful mm-hmm. way it, i mean we are we are truly perpetuating a space of non-accountability which is i in my opinion this you and i is not the radicalization right you yeah. and i standing strong on our principles that is the radicalization mm-hmm. refusal to have accountability, refusing to really hone in on constitutional values, refusing to, to legislate per the rule of law, that's the radicalism. So yeah. like, if we gain nothing else out of today, I, mm-hmm. I really do think that there should be a space and a movement to really just rename what this truly is. Mm-hmm. We're not the radicals. Those assholes are for yeah. refusing to uh, really hone in on what service was to begin with, which had nothing to do with self. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's poisoned our politics now. I mean, that's a great segue to, um, for our, our viewers that might not keep up with, uh, and for our listeners that may not keep up with West Virginia politics, you sure. did lose your race, but then you got back in touch with, well, not really got back in touch with, you just continued your service in a, even a more nor- noble way. And you joined the National mm-hmm. Guard. Mm-hmm. Yes. So uh, interestingly enough, um, I, years ago, I had been a candidate for the Academy. And uh, at the time, my grandmother had passed away. She's my best friend. And uh, in so many ways, uh, not just mourning, but it felt like that wasn't my time, right? Like that wasn't the path I was supposed to take it at that moment. But fast forward to many years later, you know, I've lived a a very, a very cool life, I feel, you know, Um, that I was like, I want to finish what I started. And it was several years ago, actually, I, I would say three at this point that I had uh, really engaged in this process. And, um, you know, I earned that position of public affairs officer uh, for, for the air force. And I kept it very quiet though, Mike, because I, I know, I know a lot of folks don't agree with me on this, uh, but I I just do not feel the need to temper my rhetoric here. Um, My, my service to my state and to my country does not belong to politics. 
And so Absolutely. I was going to do everything I could to protect it from that, which is why I, I took it out of it. Um, I didn't stump with, I serve, I didn't like that space to me is very sacred. And especially while I was going through this process, knowing that not everyone makes it through, right? That's not oh. guaranteed. Um, I very much protected it. And then, you know, I, I think that I have a very strong belief that what is meant for you will not miss you. Yeah. And that I don't think it was a coincidence that I lost by such a slim margin only to be placed in, in this space where I, I really can protect yeah. a lot of folks. So um, after, after that loss in November, after canvas is when it, when we really did lose, we, we didn't lose it until then. Because it was only um, by what? It was like a hundred votes. It was a hundred votes. Yes. Yeah. That's, so, that's, that's so small. Right. Um, and there's been a lot of conversations of when does Sammy Brown come back to politics, yeah. you know, but uh, right now my focus is and will continue to be the Air Force and the Air National Guard. Mm -hmm. And uh, almost immediately after that loss, I get the notification that's like, Let's do this, Lieutenant Brown, and wow, here we awesome. are. So, so this awesome. year, yeah, this year will be uh, when I get to complete that commission, and uh, I will I will be an officer of the Air Force, and uh, you get to call me Lieutenant Brown. There Once you go. Delegate, now, Lieutenant. <laughs> there you go, and that's uh, you know that's I would say that's an upgrade. Um, Feels good. <laughs> well, well, thank you so much uh, for coming on, Sammy, and um, you know. Anytime. Come on back, Lieutenant. Now, uh, thank you for all that you do. Good luck out there. Go get them. Thank em. you. And I'll, I'll see you soon.